0: Forgot that I I went off script. Sorry. That's what we do at Ruf, and yeah, we're not doing it now. (laughs) We're already off track. So uh, I want to start this morning by asking. I want you to think about this question: What kind of person do you have to be to become a Christian? I want you to think about that, uh, about how you would answer that question. And granted, there are a lot of different, or at least a few different angles that you could take uh, to answer that question and still be right, but how would you answer it? What, what words come to mind? What kind of a person do you have to be? I have a, a friend of mine that's, oh, he's probably 10, 15 years older than me, but uh, he's an elder uh, in, a, in a PCA church, very old and respected, uh, well established church. And part of his duty as an elder, Uh, And and which is common of uh, really most any PCA church, Uh, one of his duties as an elder is to talk to, as as kids uh, grow up in the church and want to become what we call communing members, well, you need to talk to an elder uh, because you have to have what we call a credible profession of faith, which is just a fancy way of saying we want to hear uh, that you're a Christian, that you're a believer. And so you would... uh, one of his duties is to meet with these folks. They're usually in, you know, fifth or sixth grade. And he says, uh, he told me that, you know, he, he usually gets boys, and that when, when the, they come to meet with him, he says, I ask him, really, I fundamentally just ask him one question. And I wish you, wish you knew this guy and could hear his voice, because it's very unique. But he says, I basically, I look at him and I say, what kind of dude you got to be to get in this place? And they stare at him. And he said, come on, what, what kind of dude do you got to be to get in here? And he said, i let them answer. And they, you know, they say something about Jesus. And, and then I look at him and I say, a bad dude. A bad dude. The only kind of people we let in here are bad dudes. And just to be clear, he doesn't mean bad dude like tough guy. He means just rotten, bad, awful people. And it's kind of a funny story, but he's exactly right. He's nailed it. What kind of person do you have to be to become a Christian? What kind of people populate Christianity? And the answer is bad people. Truly and honestly bad people. A few, couple few years ago, we studied through the book of Mark in RUF, and our theme every week was, uh, we said it was wide-eyed wonder. Because that's really uh, the flavor of how Mark writes. You get the impression as you read through Mark, uh, it's almost like a kid telling you about Christmas morning or something they're excited about. Uh, Everything about Mark, it's about action. It happens fast. It's like, and this happened, and Jesus did this, and then we went here, and then this happened. It's like Mark just has this wide-eyed wonder at who Jesus is. And so every week we looked at that and Uh, This week, what I want you to see uh, that I think would would leave us with wide-eyed wonder is that Jesus invites and calls bad people to come to him. Those are the kind of people that he invites and calls. Bad people. So this morning, I want to look at three things along these lines. The first thing that I want you to see is that Jesus calls bad people. Secondly, we'll see that Jesus is close to bad people. And then thirdly, we'll look at the bad people's response to Jesus. So that's where we're going. All right, so first, Jesus calls bad people. Uh, The passage starts out with with Jesus uh, already in Mark. He's been teaching people a lot, and we see that again. He's teaching people about the kingdom of God and telling them about the good news. And so he's been at the Sea of Galilee... And now he's heading back, and he passes by the the tax collector's booth. The tax collector was obviously a guy named Levi. And Jesus looks at him, and he says, follow me. And uh, amazingly enough, he does. Uh, Just up and follows him just like that. We've actually seen it before, earlier in Mark, with Peter and Andrew and James and John. And Mark 1. But we need to stop for a minute and sort of uh, take a closer look at, what, at exactly what it means to have been a tax collector. Because you've got to really understand who and what these, these guys were to really see how shocking this is. Because it is. I think it's absolutely shocking that Jesus would call this guy. So keep in mind, uh, Israel is under Roman rule, which they hate. They don't want any part of that. And the Roman government, like virtually every, every government, taxes its citizens. And they did it by uh, basically leasing out uh, taxable areas to locals that would, that would be in charge of gathering the taxes, collecting the taxes in that particular area. It was almost like a, a tax franchise, Some local would pay the Roman government for the right to collect the taxes from that area. And they would collect whatever the the required tax was. They were allowed to collect that and whatever else they could collect. And they had the backing of the Roman government. So they would charge, they would charge, obviously, a good bit more than they needed. They would, you know, of course, build in their own profit. But if you've got the backing of the Roman government and basically a blank check, you can imagine that the people that are going to sign up for this are going to gonna tend towards corruption. So you could charge whatever you wanted. So they basically just extorted money from people um, by charging whatever. Uh, so it seems like here in the... Uh, this tax collector's booth at Levi's booth, he's on the road from, uh, from the Sea of Galilee back to town. And so if you're a fisherman and you're, you've, got to, you've been fishing for the day, you get your catch, and now you're heading back, well, you've got to pay, uh, who knows, a dollar a fish today. Maybe tomorrow it's five dollars a fish. It's whatever I want it to be, if you're the tax collector. And so they would charge whatever they wanted, and so you can imagine uh, that that these folks were absolutely hated because they were they were Jewish people, and so they were they were working for the the oppressive government. They're traitors, and they're basically thugs. So as opposed to thinking like the uh, of the IRS type, which might be sort of the you know, the the accountant, IRS picture of tax collector, that's not the idea at all. This is somebody that has, because tax, because they were Jews, they were hated by all their fellow Israelites. So they were kicked out, they weren't allowed in synagogue. They and their families were outcasts. And they, think about this, they were people that knew all this on the front end, and because you could make a bunch of money, still chose to do that. So they're corrupt. So it's a whole lot more like some sort of like low-level mafia guy. They're thugs. They don't care that they're outcast. They're hated by everybody. They're awful. They're, they're not the, like we said, IRS type that you, you know, go meet at the office and this guy's really smart and you know, organized and things are in order. This is the you know come-to-your-house guy and say, hey, you got a really nice house here would sure hate for something to happen to your house if you didn't pay up. You know, sort of the shakedown. So that's who we're dealing with. And so Jesus comes along, and I want you to see how shocking it is that Jesus says, I want you to follow me. It had to have been shocking, almost certainly for Peter and James and Andrew and John, because it is, it is possible, in fact, it's, it's probably really likely that they knew Levi. Because they've been up and down this road every day paying his dang taxes. It's probably they, they weren't real excited about this. They're probably shocked by the fact that their, their rabbi, rabbi looks at this guy, of all people, and says, I want you. It was shocking to everybody. It was probably even shocking to Levi. Because Levi almost certainly, without question, he had heard of who Jesus was and what he was doing. But he wasn't down at the lake listening to Jesus. He was too busy being a thug, taking the money of all the people that were going down there. And now this guy walks by and he says, I want you to come be a part of what I'm doing. I don't know why I chose this one, but... For some reason, this popped into my head. It would be like if an NBA franchise uh, used their draft picks on draft night to select short, slow, unathletic people that really didn't even seem to care much about basketball to start their franchise. It just, it just doesn't make sense. It seems to be going in the opposite direction. So what, what is Jesus doing? Well, if you've been reading through Mark, uh, what you would see, that the, the previous passage is it's, all of, it's when uh, you know, the, the paralyzed guy, his friends bring him to Jesus and they can't get in the house so they lower him through the roof. And the whole point of the passage uh, is about how Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. Remember, he looks at the guy and he says, I tell you, your sins are forgiven and the Pharisees and the scribes freak out. And they say, like, this, who is this guy? It's all about the fact that Jesus can forgive sins, that he has the authority. And now the very next passage, what we see is that Jesus seems to be on this mission to go out and find really bad people to forgive. He's on the hunt, looking not just for people, but for really bad people. He is tracking them down, looking for people to bring into his kingdom. So just real quick, before we keep going, a little bit of application, and it's probably pretty obvious. I want you to see this morning that that Jesus is for you. Jesus is for really bad people if you've done really awful things in your life Jesus Jesus is calling you I think it can be real easy especially if you're if you're new to Redeemer maybe if you're new checking out this christianity thing I think it can be real easy to to think that God or Jesus is for people with sure he's for people with problems but kind of nice Normal, everyday problems? And now look, I'm not downplaying this. I knew this was, I read the script beforehand, but what, what, how did we confess our sins? We confess that we don't, pray, we, didn't, we don't pray right. And that's, that's enormously important. We're going to talk about some of that in a minute. But I think it can be easy to think like, oh, okay, so that's the deal. Like, for people that don't pray right, I've actually done really wrong stuff. And I want you to know that Jesus is for you if you've done really bad stuff. Like if you've you've sexually assaulted somebody. If you're sitting here this morning thinking, yeah, I wish how I prayed was my biggest problem. If you knew the kinds of things that I said to my wife this week. If you knew the kinds of things... That I did behind my husband's back. If you knew the the reputations that I had destroyed. If you knew how awful I was to my children. If you knew the things that I looked at. The things that I thought. If you've done really honestly bad things. I want you to see this text. Jesus is for you. He's after you. He calls you and he says, I want you. In other words, there is nothing you can bring to Jesus that would make him blush. Or make him back away and say, oh, hang on. He invites you and he will forgive you. Second thing I want us to see this morning is that Jesus is close to bad people. Jesus is close to bad people. So Jesus calls this Levi guy, and he follows him. And then sort of we flash forward. The next thing that we see in the passage is that Jesus is at this big dinner party at Levi's house. And there are a lot of people there. And it seems to be a pretty strange mix of people, if you think about it. It's a pretty interesting party. So Jesus is there. Uh, The people that have been following him, his disciples. Now you've got Levi... And then you've got what the, what the text says, many tax collectors and sinners. Which is, I'm sure, an interesting crowd. Levi and his, his folks. And then, then you've got these uh, Pharisee scribes. And it's not clear from the text. There's some debate. Is it, is it the scribes and the Pharisees or the scribes of the Pharisees? I don't think it really matters. They're both probably pretty lame to have at your party. But they're there. So you've got this really weird party. But Jesus is there with all of these, these really bad people. It was in that day, and it still is today. It's a fairly intimate thing in many ways to, to be at somebody's house and to eat with them. And that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is right in the midst, right in the middle of all these people, and it's no small thing. And it's obvious from the text that this is a big deal because the Pharisees have a big problem with this it made him really mad. And here's what I want you to see in this, in this very quick point. Jesus brings himself very close to these really bad people. He actually seems to want to know them and that he wants to be with them because he seems to care about them. In other words, Jesus doesn't just Call really bad people and say, hey, follow me. I got some stuff that I want you to do. He doesn't just uh, seem to offer forgiveness and then want to do all of that at a distance. He wants to actually be with them. He calls really bad people and then he spends time with them. He's near them. He eats with them. It's really, again, it's really a shocking scene if you think about it. He doesn't call people and say, um, hey, I want you to follow me. Whoa, 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 not not follow that close. Or, hey, come follow me. I want you to listen to what I'm going to tell you about how you can make your life better. and And then we'll kind of, we'll hang out. He just is with them. It made me think of the, I don't know why it made me think of this. Again, strange illustration, but it made me think of the, uh, you know, the scene, you get it usually around the holidays where the politician, pick your, your politician, politician goes down to the, the local soup kitchen, homeless shelter or whatever, and they do the, you know, they, they help feed the poor, they wrap some Christmas gifts or whatever, and, it, and it's a publicity deal. And they're there for about an hour, and they do the deal, and they, you know, they visit on camera with a few of the of the residents or, or patrons there, and and then, you know, no doubt, after the hour, they're bathing in hand sanitizer and telling their aide about how gross it was, you know, and they're just out of there. They they don't really want to be near those people. they they're using those people that picture versus the person or people, whoever it was that started that soup kitchen or homeless shelter. The people that are there day after day. And why are they there? Because they look and they see people. They don't see a means to an end. They see people. People that are worth being near. People that are worth loving, getting to know. That's the the picture here. It's a little picture here of what Jesus is doing. He he calls bad people, and then he wants to be with them. He doesn't just want to fix them. He does want to fix them. But he also wants to be with them. So look, as we try to think about what that means for us for just a second, I want you to see that if you take Jesus' call, if you follow him, if you have and are following him, Jesus wants to be with you. He likes you. He wants to be near you. He loves you. And I think the more and more that, that, that we really soak in that and that gets down in our bones, wouldn't that change our, our prayer lives? If we really believe that, that Jesus doesn't primarily just want us to be better, but that he wants to just be with us? Wouldn't that change how we how we talk to him? Wouldn't it change how we repent? To recognize that Jesus already knows that we're really bad people. That we can actually just, yep, come again and again and again and bring it all. Wouldn't it change how we worship? Wouldn't it change uh, that from... If you're like me, when you walk in this place, that very often you can think that God is like, oh, really? Well, look who came to worship. To worship. After what you said, did, thought. But all right, whatever. I did promise, it's fine. And that's the picture. What if we really believe that Jesus wants to be with us. Wouldn't that change how we worship? Isn't that good news? Thirdly and finally, I want to take a look this morning from this passage about the bad people's response. How they respond to Jesus. And this is actually going to be a two-parter because as as you're going to see, we've really got two sets of bad people. We've got two sets of bad people, which is basically everybody but Jesus here in this story. But so first, let's take a look at, the, at the, the scribes, the Pharisees, and see how they respond. All right, so who are these folks? Well, these are the Jewish men that take, they take their religion very, very seriously. These are men that have dedicated their lives to studying God's law. To studying God's law and what it looks like to live that out every day. They think about it, they read it, they write about it. This is what they do. They work very hard to follow God's law. They lead highly disciplined lives. They're very moral people. Um, They're well-respected. And part of their uh, commentary on the law, the Talmud, it stated that teachers of the law, teachers of God's word were not allowed to eat with sinners and tax collectors. Uh, and the thinking was that it would defile them, that it was beneath them, because these people are so bad. And so these folks are really upset with Jesus, because it's obvious they've been, they've been tracking Jesus, and he teaches a lot about God and his word. And they're not real sure about that, But now they see that he's eating with sinners and tax collectors, which is, according to what they've written, expressly forbidden. And now they're definitely not okay with that. It just didn't make sense. It didn't compute. So how in the world could someone that supposedly cares so much about God's law be here calling and then then enjoying fellowship with these sinners? And so, uh, in verse 16, what we see is that the, the scribes ask some of Jesus' disciples, why does he eat with these people, with tax collectors and sinners? So Jesus overhears it, in verse 17, and he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I, ca- I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So do you see how Jesus' response really is getting at the heart of, of why the Pharisees respond the way that they do. He basically says, look, I'm a doctor. I'm like a doctor. I've come to heal people. And healthy people don't need healing. It's only sick people that need a doctor. In other words, the Pharisees, the scribes, they're missing or they they don't get Jesus because they don't see that they need him. They think they're doing just fine on their own because they're working so hard and and doing, frankly, thank you very much, a pretty decent job of keeping God's law unlike these people. And so they're incredibly condescending to these sinners and, and even, in a sense, to Jesus because they think they're so much holier. They think they're so much better. And they don't like Jesus' call to bad people. And it, fundamentally, because they've earned it. And those people haven't. Uh, it made me, reminded me of a story that my campus minister, I remember him telling us uh, when I was a student. He said that uh, he and his wife had watched uh, a documentary about Jeffrey Dahmer. I don't know if you remember who Jeffrey Dahmer is, but Jeffrey Dahmer was a bad dude. He fits the category. He was a uh, serial killer in Wisconsin. Dahmer uh, raped, killed, and even ate parts of 17 different men over the course of, uh, what is that, 13 years or so, from 1978 to 1991, finally got caught and went to prison for uh, 15 life sentences. He had been in prison for about two years, and then he was beaten to death in prison. So my campus minister was telling us the story. He said, we're watching this documentary. We're learning all this, you know, about him. And he said, the documentary uh, ended. One of the last things they said was that uh, evidently right before Dahmer's death, he had become a born-again Christian. And he said the documentary ended basically with that. He said, I clicked it off. I turned and looked at my wife, and I said, yeah, Right. And he said, but in that moment, thank the Lord, literally, he said, I, I heard myself. I caught myself. And he said, what, what, I, was, what I realized is that my default, my, my heart's default was to think it was a whole lot easier for Jesus to forgive my sins than it was Jeffrey Dahmer's. That somehow I, my sins are better than Jeffrey Dahmer's because he did these heinous things, and, and I don't. And look, even, even a, a cursory reading of the Bible would show you that that's just simply not true. It's clear that we are all on the same footing. It doesn't mean that all sins are equal, you know, in consequence and, and weight and import. But in regard to our standing with God, they they are. They were all heinous sinners, offenders of God. And and quite frankly, we're kidding ourselves if we think ours aren't as bad. And look, let's be honest. At a place like Baylor, in a town like Waco, if you're here this morning, that's probably us. We're probably more in that camp. That's our struggle. That we tend to think, we're not that bad. That we're a little bit better than the next guy or girl. And if so, then we're going to miss Jesus. But look, if that is you, then I want you to see, if you're beginning to see just how awful that self-righteousness is, how bad it is, then remember, Jesus came to call bad people, and there's good news. All right, but now let's look at the sinners and the tax collectors. We need to finish up here, go quickly. Um, Let's look at the response of the sinners and the tax collectors, because obviously they respond positively to Jesus's call, uh, because Levi obviously follows him, and it says many more followed as well. But I I want to just take a look at why they followed him real quick. And it's really, you probably see this coming, it's really just the flip side of the Pharisees. And the simple answer is they, they followed him because they saw that they needed him, they saw their need. They knew that, they knew good and well, my life is a wreck. Like, I'm not, I am not a good dude. And yet, this guy's offering something to bad people. They just knew that they needed it. They, kn- they knew they were sick and they needed a doctor. Um, made me think of this story when I, I got to work for three summers when I was in college and just out. Uh, worked for three summers on a ranch in Montana, which is as cool as it sounds, by the way. And I worked uh, in the fly shop. And the last two summers, I would give, uh, when the need arose, gave fly fishing casting lessons. The beginner lessons, to folks that wanted to go fly fishing. And one of the most common scenarios was we would get a, a married couple, and they wanted to go on one of the fly fishing trips. The husband uh, is a fisherman, uh, knows you know, a fair amount about fishing from back home, wherever that is, but spin fishing, but now wants to try the fly fishing thing. The wife doesn't know really anything about fishing, but she's just willing to go along and be part. And so, so they're both on the, on the lesson. Now, which one do you think is going to pick up the fly fishing quicker? Well, it would seem like the guy, right? He knows his way around fishing not even close. It's the women for a number of reasons. One, women tend to be better listeners. And but mainly, it was because typically the wife would recognize, I don't know what I'm doing. You seem to know what you're doing. You're at least wearing the outfit and we paid you the money. I'll listen to you. And the husband would all, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I would go over and say like, all right, hey, here's kind of that. And he'd go like, yeah, yeah man, I, I got to Go, go help her. And here's the deal with fly fishing. If you've ever tried it with spinning, with a spinning reel, the harder you throw it, the further it goes. With the fly rod, that ain't going to work. You got to let the rod do the work. So the guy's trying to muscle it out there and it's not working and he's just trying to be the man and make it happen. And I'm over there with the wife, you know, like 10 and 2, and she's like, oh, like this, and it's just, it's working. Why? Very obviously because she knew she needed help. That's the picture. She just knew she needed something. That's, that's why Christianity is for, and really only for, bad people. Because they know they need help. And the last thought I want to leave you with is one more aspect of these sinners' response. Did you notice that in response to Jesus' gracious call to bad people, that these bad people, especially Levi, that that they went out and they were actually used by God, and they actually worked for God's kingdom. Did you notice what Levi did in response? He actually went out and invited all his friends. Isn't that cool? Jesus looked at this bad dude, and he said, I want you. And he said, okay. And he went out and told all his friends, and he said, hey, you got to come over to my place. You got to meet this guy. He found something amazing, and he wanted his friends to find it. A pastor friend of mine, uh, I remember hearing this story about uh, a college student in his church that got converted And this guy was a big time, you know, frat guy, party animal, that whole deal. And he gets converted. And so he starts meeting with the pastor on, you know, some sort of regular basis. And they would talk about all sorts of things. And the pastor would always make a point to say, hey, I would love for you to invite your fraternity brothers. Invite them to church. And he'd say, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll try to do that. And, you know, every week he would come to church and, and know fraternity brothers, and they would meet, and he'd say, hey, did you invite any of your friends? And he would kind of him and haw around, and he's like, well, you know, I try. And then one day he said, hey, did you invite your friends? And he said, no, I, I didn't. And so the pastor recognized. He's like, ah, man, look, I feel like I've kind of made you feel bad about this. And Look, hey, I'm sorry. Look, just know this. If you never invite a single one of your friends, one of your fraternity brothers, just know Jesus loves you exactly the same, and I do too. Okay. So fast forward to Sunday, that kid shows up with a rowful. <clears throat> sorry. It's beautiful. With a row full of his fraternity brothers. And so the next time he meets with him, he says, Man, that, that was so cool. He said, I, I'm just curious what what happened? And he said, he said, well, when you told me that Jesus and you would love me the same, whether I invited all of my fraternity brothers or none of them, that you would still love me the same, and so would Jesus. He said, I just thought that was so cool, I just went and told my friends. Right, it's kind of funny, and it's kind of beautiful. That's the picture that's the idea, the response of reaching out to others in grace because you've, you've received grace. And what, you, what we see is that God uses people like that. God uses people like us, like really bad people. In fact, did, I don't know if you knew this, but Levi actually has another name. He has a name that you're probably more familiar with, which is Matthew. So think about how Jesus has used this really bad dude. Matthew, who wrote, of course, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the gospel of Matthew. He took this low-level mafia thug, this really bad dude, And he called him. And then he used him to tell people, to tell untold billions of people about Jesus. That's amazing. That's good news. And that's good news that that should leave us with wide-eyed wonder. The good news of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, what a beautiful reality. That you call bad people. Uh, would you do us the, the gracious favor. Of causing us to see that in ourselves. But so that we can see. How much you love us. And would you even do us the, the favor. Of turning us outward. To share that grace with others. And we ask it in your name. Amen.